Have Guitar Will Travel presented by Vintage Guitar Magazine with your host, me, James Patrick Regan, otherwise known as Jimmy from the Deadlies. Today, I'm at the Uptown Theater in Napa, California, and I'm speaking with Kenny Vaughn for the second time. In our conversation, we cover touring with Marty Stewart and Kenny's gear, working as a studio musician in Nashville, and we talk about Tom Bukovac. We discuss how he and Marty met and how he became a member of the band and how the name The Fabulous Superlatives was coined. We talk about the stratosphere tuning, and we talk about the fancy suits made by Jaime and North Hollywood. We delve into working with Mike Campbell and Mike's guitar collection. We discuss buying a guitar from Johnny Smith and studying with Bill Frizzell and his dad's love for jazz. We discuss how he got into his first country band in Colorado, and we talk about what Kenny listens to these days. Kenny is very active on Facebook and the socials, and you should really get out and see him play live, either at one of his own shows or with Marty Stewart. Please like, comment, and most of all, share this podcast. I'd really appreciate it. And please support Vintage Guitar Magazine and all the wonderful things they do for us guitar players because they do so many wonderful things for us guitar players. Here's Kenny. All right. <laughs> hey, Kenny. Hey. So the stage is blank right now, and it's whatever, almost noon. When do you guys usually get started with sound checks? Um, well, let's see. Well, I'll tell you what it says here on my little schedule. Um, the... Well, I don't know. Uh, we're going to sound check at four. Oh, you are? Oh, yeah. not till four. So, um, but they're going to probably load in pretty soon. Okay. No, it doesn't say what time they're going to load in, but they usually load in right about now. Yeah. And, how, uh, how large is your crew on the on the? Um, there is a. Uh, we have a road manager, uh, a sound, uh, front house guy, okay. and uh, and then our monitor guy, and then our uh, merch guy. Uh-huh. And then we have our road managers, so, you know, it's four, basically. Okay. And um, they do a lot of work. They're really hard-working guys. Yeah. We, we're old, and we don't do shit. <laughs> <laughs> do, they, do they change strings and stuff like that, or is that you? I change my own strings, okay. but they will change strings. Uh-huh. But I don't. Marty sometimes has them change strings, uh, uh-huh. but uh, I don't. I, I two hands-on yeah. for that. Yeah. I'm, I tune my own guitars and change my own strings, and Marty tunes his own guitars, but sometimes he'll let them change strings on his guitars yeah. if he's busy. Yeah. And, uh, and as far as gear, on, on when you guys are touring like this, you're bringing your own amps, of course. Oh, yeah. I have a 68 Drip Edge Vibrolux Reverb with uh, two vintage tins, okay. Celestian vintage tins. And, and do you have a spare in case something happens? I have happens? a uh, 64 basement head. It has a four ohm output, uh-huh. and so it's back behind that amp in case, because it's a four ohm amp. Yeah. So I can quickly switch it, and be back up running in a few minutes if uh-huh. if my amp would go down. So you just plug into the speakers. Well. Yeah, yeah. There's an output there, and you can yeah. just like plug those speakers in the existing amp. And I don't worry about blowing those because they're new uh, Celestian vintage tens. And they're, yeah. They're we don't get anywhere near where we would blow one, one of those yeah. things. You know, exactly. they're, they're pretty. Uh, good sounding speakers how loud is it on stage for you it's pretty damn loud is it yeah marty marty's loud okay but harry's not a loud drummer he's not he's he doesn't play like nashville drummers uh-huh. nashville drummers are the loudest drummers on earth <laughs> are they louder really? than any heavy metal drummer ever was <laughs> i saw john bonham he ain't nothing compared to those dudes they hit too hard man it's like it's like a, drums are no longer a musical instrument they're a weapon <laughs> but harry's not like that he plays nice uh-huh. Clean and quiet. And as far as at home, how many amps do you have at home? Oh my God, a lot. Many. Many. 
Yeah, I have. Uh, I I have an unhealthy Gibson Tweed fetish. Do you really? Yeah. So I, my prized one, I guess, is my uh, late fifties uh, GA40 Les Paul single twelve. Uh huh. It's a killer, man. It, Woo. It, loud and clean. No, it's a. Um, that's kind of the original Marshall. Okay. It's really, it's it's loud, but it's it'll it'll get really nice and dirty in a good way. Uh-huh. It's it sounds like you know that the sound you really want to have. Sure. It's just that you know that wonderful tube breakup. This is it's it's perfect. Yeah. It's really good. How often are you playing dirty? Uh, it depends on what I'm doing. You know, but what I get hired for. Mostly in Nashville, all things are dirty. You know, okay. They don't like, you know, they say, hey, Kenny, we're going to go through it for a traditional Telecaster sound on this one, you know. Uh-huh. So make sure you bring that in. So I'll plug in my traditional Telecaster. And how's that sound? Well, the, we'll do a take of the, uh, Kenny, that's a little bit too clean. Can you dirty that up a little <laughs> bit? And by the time I'm done, you know, I'm like playing through the tube screamer you know and you know it's like it's not clean at all and it's nothing traditional about it whatsoever you know i don't know what they're thinking you know but uh, uh you know i i don't i i i pretty much uh, quit worrying about what was going on in nashville about 1990 uh-huh. uh, but you're still doing sessions yeah but not like i was you know uh-huh. i don't um i don't do any of the um stuff that you hear on the radio now yeah you don't do any of Tom Bukovac stuff. Well, nobody does any Tom Bukovac stuff, but Tom <laughs> Bukovac. He's the best guitar player, session guitar player I've ever seen in my life. I mean, he is a monster. That guy, you can never, ever count him out anywhere. He's 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 beyond everyone else. He, he's in his own world. He's so good. He's an amazing musician. And, ama- you know, just his arrangement skills and his uh, everything. He's just... He's miles above, beyond everybody. He's yeah. just—he's amazing. Uh, just but, but with being associated with with you and Marty, and um, and then the stuff that you, your your solo group when you play at uh, at this club, I can't remember what it's called. But the, well, I have a couple of different bands. Um, one of them it no longer exists because the bass player just died. Oh no! But uh, uh, you might be thinking of that when they were called the Slow Beats. And he was the leader of the band, so the Slow Beats won't be doing anything else. Oh. <laughs> but I also have the Imperial Blues out. That's the one. And that's uh, up and running. Yeah, that's really fun. I, I love that band. That's that's really a good and, fun band. And so there's a few videos on YouTube. So I'm I'm used to you playing um, like people people's videos on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And I'm used to you playing like very tastefully and very clean. So I, it, it, it would surprise me to hear you play dirty. Oh, well. You know, it's probably what I, what I call dirty and what you call dirty are probably do different things. So no. I don't know. I, you know, it's I don't play like heavy metal. You know? No, no, no. I, I yeah, but yeah. but just uh, I don't know. Any anyway. In the studio, you know, I I, I do I use all kinds of sounds uh-huh. you know, depending on who I'm working for. Sure. You know? I mean, I get called for all kinds of stuff. Indie rock stuff is uh, you know mostly dirty, uh-huh. but sometimes it's clean. You know, like uh. Who are they? Uh, that band, uh, the Shoegazer band, that's putting out a new album out. Slow Dive. I don't know. Slow Dive. Right. They're like one of the great shoegaze bands of all time. They, I think their first record came out in the early, early '90s, probably about 1990, something like that. Okay. They're a British band. And, okay. And they, I don't think they've ever used any dirty guitars. They have three gu- guitars playing 
you know, Fender guitars, impossibly clean. Wow. With loads of reverb and space, you know, it's just like the coolest band in the world. They just put out a new album. You know, they're indie rock shoegaze all the way. There's nothing, you know, <laughs> but they don't use any dirt on their guitars, man. It's, and there's another one like that too, uh, Alves. They're another one, one of those groups that play clean Fender guitars, but it's indie rock. It's not country at all. You know, it's, uh-huh. it's clean, beautiful, pristine, lovely guitars. And sure. There's a, that's kind of there's a there's a bunch of bands that play that kind of sound, you know, in the indie rock world. Yeah. You know, and I've always been a fan of that kind of stuff. In the bus, what do you guys are you guys listening to this stuff collectively? Or no, you, we don't listen to music in the bus, and oh, there's no TV either. Oh, what do you do? What do you, what do you guys read do? Read books and talk about music. Okay. All right. I don't want to listen to what someone else wants to listen to, and they don't want to listen to what I want to listen to. So <laughs> we don't have that problem. No TV. I don't want to watch what somebody else wants to watch. And they don't want to watch what I want to watch. You know, so it's about spotlessly clean, uh, quiet. And a lovely place to go to sleep. Okay, cool. <laughs> we are, we're the only band in the world that goes on the road to get rest. <laughs> we get on the bus and we're all like, ah, the den of tranquility is here. <laughs> so, you know, we live in a, it, it's like a, it's an alternate universe we live in. It's our own little bubble. Well, that's cool. It has nothing to do with anything but what we do. And, you know, we're in, a, we're in suspended animation when we get on the bus. That's great. Yeah, it's great. It's a it's a it's a world that we built out of our just imagination, but it doesn't have anything to do with the music business yeah. or anything else. It's just our little little, uh, little fun project, you know. Right on. The, how many years have you been playing with Marty? Now? Twenty-two. Twenty-two. It'll be twenty-three in a couple of months. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So two thousand or two thousand one. Two thousand one. Yeah. January two thousand one. Excellent. Uh, how, how did you meet him? I, he doesn't remember the first time I met him. I met him backstage at some awful country festival in the um, early 90s, one of those outdoor festivals where everybody's drunk and the collective <laughs> IQs probably room temperature. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's pretty bad. Uh, you know, it was one of those things. I, I remember we were standing in raw sewage. No, no. Uh, backstage. <laughs> no. <laughs> he doesn't remember that, but I do. I met, I met him there. And then uh, I was playing some pickup gig with some dude at a, uh, it was a, um, they used they have, used to have this thing called Fanfare in Nashville. Of course. And uh, now it's it's called something else, Fan Fest or something okay. like that. I don't know what they're called, <laughs> Music City something, I don't know. But Double F. But anyway, it's a uh, it's a big event that takes up the whole town, and uh, for a week, everybody's playing all these shows and everything. And I got hired to play some gig at 11 a.m. in some club for a showcase for some artist, or you know, at something where people were going to be playing all day. Yeah. And Marty was there for some reason or other, and he's got my number. Okay. And and uh, called me. We had a meeting, and he wanted to start a band. So right he, he hadn't been working for a while, so that, that was in 2000, uh, the late, uh, it would have been the summer of 2000, and he called me uh, a couple months later, and we set up some appointments, and had coffee, and you know, started doing our band. 
head on. And how'd you come up with the name, The Fabulous Apartments? Uh, that came from a, um, there was a um, radio ad in Nashville back in the 80s. Uh, there was a flower shop called Emma's. And they had this wonderful announcer with this old Nashville southern accent, this old guy. And he said, Emma's. The superlative florist. <laughs> Mons, carnations, rhododendrons, roses. You know, it's like you, know, you talk about Emma's, the superlative florist. And we were out, we, had, we hadn't been playing much, and we were just being billed as Marty Stewart, and we were just starting to get going. And uh, I think we were in Norway or somewhere, place, some crazy Marty was like, we gotta come up with a name, you know? Yeah. I don't know why we got the superlative thing from Emma's, but we did. Yeah, I don't remember who came up with it. And then <laughs> Marty says, that sounds superlative. Yeah, he said, what about the fabulous superlative? <laughs> yeah, that sounds good, you know? It was just, we were just having fun. Sure. Probably drinking coffee in the morning or something, yeah. who knows what we were doing now. But, uh, uh, if we had to come up with a name, he, he seemed to think we needed a name for the band. So that's, <laughs> it kind of was just a joke that stuck. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> Harry's been in the band since the beginning? or yeah, Since that, that's, uh, he and I joined the same time. Okay. Yeah. And you've been through a... a three bass players. Three bass players. Or we're on a third right now. And yeah. He's been there for going on nine years now. Chris? Yeah. Yeah, he's amazing. He's, he is. He's uh, also the best guitar player in the band. <laughs> yes. He's an amazing guitar player. I, I saw so I've seen his his videos on YouTube Crazy, also with his he's solo a, stuff. He's one of the best steel guitar players in Nashville. Is he really? Oh yeah. That, that I haven't seen. Oh my gosh. You need to check out his non-pedal playing. His, you know, just straight steel guitar playing yeah. without pedals. But he's also a killer pedal steel player too. Wow. Check out his... He's the best living non-pedal steel guitar player. Easily. I mean, without even, there's no question, he is the man. And he's a really good pedal player, too. Okay. And the thing I like about his playing is that he plays, instantly he plays what you want to hear. Like, he goes there quicker than anybody else. Uh -huh. He knows. He's just, because, you know, he's. I've hired him to play drums on sessions. Wow. I've, you know, uh, he's, a, he's a great drummer, great session drummer, great bass player, great guitar player, great steel player, great singer. So he understands the big picture. Yeah. And when he plays steel, it's like, give him one pass and he'll give you everything you ever wanted to hear on that song. <laughs> it's like, that's it, okay, okay, next song, you know? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's just amazing. His intonation, his phrasing, his ideas, he's, he's a genius. <laughs> Very good. There's something in that. Um, so as far as guitars, when you're playing, the, how many guitars do you have on the road with you right now? Um, let me see. I have a, um, uh, a Fender Telecaster with a um, uh, Glazer B Bender. Okay. I have another. Um, uh, it, it's a. Uh, it was a. It's a Telecaster that was made by a guy named um, Frank Fisher. The yellow one. That you have. Huh? Is it yellow? No. no. It's red. And uh, it's a spare. I keep it out here, and it has uh, hum canceling pickups in it in case the venue's just terrible, impossible to yeah. deal with. And it also has a, a Parsons White bender in it. Wow! And it's really a good guitar. It's it's Frank Fisher, Doctor Frank Fisher made that guitar. It's really a nice sounding guitar. It's a pine body, um, which I really prefer. That's my favorite body is pine. Uh -huh. I have a couple of Tellys that are made out of pine, and I find that tone to be 
more pleasing to me than the ash or the alder. Okay. Although they're not, not that different really, but you can really hear the pine sound has this cool thing. It's just, I don't know if you know the original prototypes. Yeah, the pine casters, yes. They're made out of pine. And yeah. I would, you know, I would like to get some more tellies with pine bodies. That sugar pine, I think, is what the one, is the one you need to use. Sugar okay. pine is what it's called. It's, <laughs> it's lighter, I think, in weight. And seems to have the best resonance. And then I have um, uh, a Rickenbacker 370. Okay. With it's kind of an odd guitar. That, that, it's a 12-string, and, uh-huh. and it has three pickups. It dates, the neck dates to late 60s, but there's no F-holes, even though it's a hollow body guitar. Okay. There's no F-holes, you know, the cat eye sound, yeah, it's yeah. not there. And um, it has Martin herringbone trim on the back. Wow. Um, which is strange. Yeah. Um, so we don't know what it is, if it's an employee-made guitar, possibly, because it's clearly a Rickenbacker body. I uh-huh. mean, it's like it's not... Somebody didn't fashion this at home. I mean, sure. it's, a, it's a real Rickenbacker body because, you know, I've had experts look at it and they're like, yep, that's Rickenbacker, you know, so I don't know. But anyway, I got it from Bukovac, of all people. Oh, really? Yeah. And when he had uh, second gear of music, um, it was up on the wall and I needed a 12-string and, a, and I, I've been using Marty's uh, Rickenbacker 12 and I wanted to get one for myself to use. And um, uh, he had it on the wall and... He's like, well, I think uh, this guy's going to come in next week and buy that. And I, it was a Friday or Thursday. And I was like, oh, man, I really like this thing. He said, we'll take it out on the, this, this weekend on the road. You guys playing on the road this weekend? I said, yeah, we got two shows. Let's take it out and, you know, see what you think. So I came back on Monday with the money. Oh, wow. And left the whole guitar at home. <laughs> I was like, this is too good a deal, and I like this guitar too much. And, was it an expensive guitar? Or? Not particularly. Yeah because of the a strange sort of lineage. The strange format. Yeah, it wasn't really, a, 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 you know, collectible, yeah. you know, on the market you know, as much as a stock one would be, you know. So, yeah. it, but it's a really turned out to be a good guitar for me. And then I have a, a Dan Electro 12-string, a new one, that um, has um, the Stratosphere tuning on it. What's that? Uh, Stratosphere tuning is um, a 12-string tuning that w- came out in the 50s. And it was, uh, uh, they had come up with it so you could play harmony with yourself. Oh, wow. Single string harmonies, um, like Les Paul. Sure. Because you, when you think back to the early 50s, Les Paul and Mary Ford were the biggest act on the planet. Oh, yeah. They sold more records than anybody. And, and that, he was using that newfangled overdubbing business where yeah. he's playing, you know, you've heard these cascading guitars playing in harmony really fast. Yeah. And so, you know, back in those days, all the musicians were like, we can never do that live. Yeah, yeah. And some steel guitar player in Missouri said, yes, you can. <laughs> and he came up with this tuning. It's an F major nine tuning. And it's um, each pair of strings is tuned in either a ma- minor third or a major third. Wow. And it, no, none of the notes are going to be where you're normally on the guitar anymore. Everything's thrown off completely. Yeah. Because it's, uh, it's, you're thinking like a steel player with this you know, with his hand on the bar. Yeah. And that's kind of like, you have to think like that because, but it's real complicated, but it's really fun too. It's beautiful. It's yeah. beautiful sound. And uh, we, we use it for that sort of boogie woogie kind of oh, sure. thing on this one song we do. 
And um, which, which song? But I'm, it's called Tomahawk. Okay. Uh, it's off uh, altitude, and and it, you know I, I I play the my part yeah. on that guitar, and it's it's different. Yeah, you, know, you can't play chords. It's all single lines. You can play chords. You can't. Okay. Yeah, but they're not going to be. Yeah. You know, well, yeah. I, I I did a chart. I mapped out every note on this. You know, a visual chart, yeah. and I mapped out all the notes and looked at everything, and I started analyzing it while well, with the guitar in my hand, and I'm like, okay. So, I want to make a diminished chord. Well, what notes are in a diminished chord? And yeah. I would look, and I would find the four notes or the three notes. Yeah. And then I would, you know, oh, there it is. Because you only have to hold down two notes to get four notes. Yeah, of course. So you can play jazz chords <laughs> by just playing two, two notes. notes. Oh, that's cool. And so I will, oh, how would I pay a minor seventh? Oh, there it is. You know, and... So you can find these things on there, and but then you have to come up with routines to, you know, make them work. And it's pretty mind-boggling, but it's really a lot of fun. And then I discovered, just by messing around with it, that you can also use it for what could be best described as early um, uh, '70s Genesis. Oh, early. Um, uh, Twelve-string guitar parts. Wow, I don't know if you ever listened to early '70s Genesis, oh, like sure. when Peter Gabriel was the lead singer. Yeah, like, of course. Often, I guess the the ultimate record would be a Foxtrot, that album. Uh-huh. And um, so they have they uh, both the keyboard player in that band and the bass player in that band would um, sit down while they were playing, and and the keyboard player would be like playing his keyboards, but he would have an acoustic twelve string in his lap, and then he would like play you know acoustic with like a mic on it oh, wow. right <laughs> i mean it's crazy and the bass player would have a tw- he had a 12 string uh double neck rickenbacker up with a 12 string and a bass right yeah. oh yeah and, and and he would play 12 string parts on you know in and while the keyboard player would oh. be playing the bass part yeah. you know and sometimes there's two 12 strings playing these beautiful ornamentations was, yeah. like real pretty spacey stuff uh-huh. and i found out that the stratosphere tuning is made for that shit and you can find all these cool parts on there that have these uh, you know just like these little things you know these little musical themes that just kind of you know are beautiful sounding sure. real clean and you know maybe put some delay on it and sparkle it up a little bit and it's just <laughs> like wow what's that you know and I never tell the people in the studio now I'll, I'll bring one of those things with me uh-huh. but I won't tell them what it is because too much time to explain it yeah of course and uh, they'll be like I'll, I'll be like oh, hey I got a part to overdub on this so take me to the uh, first chorus and I'll put this part on there you know and I'll, they'll do that and I'll go okay go to the next chorus we'll put that on there you know okay last chorus okay got it <laughs> and I'll go in there and they're like that's a cool part man you know and I'm like thanks is that a 12 string yeah <laughs> you know but I don't tell them you know because you know I've I, It'd be 30 minutes later showing them how it works and explaining oh, it. Oh, yeah, of course. Do you know the tuning off the top of your head? No. No? No. It's uh, F major 9. Okay. Uh, I know that the the, the low string is um, is an A and an F. Okay. And the high string is, a, I believe it's a C and an E. But okay. uh, I'm not really sure about that. But it's, it's, 
It's it's a beautiful sound. Okay. It's really pretty. I'm sure we could look it up. Yeah. Yeah. It's a. Uh, there's a guy in California who uh, makes Bigsby pickups named T.K. Smith. Okay. Yeah, of course. And uh, T.K. Smith has the tuning and the string gauge chart on his website. Okay. If you go to T.K. Smith and punch in, go to his website and look up a Stratosphere tuning. You, he he has the. He found a brochure, apparently, from the Stratosphere Company in Springfield, Missouri in 1954. Oh, wow. And uh, they, they made double necks. Uh-huh. And so, the, I, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the Stratosphere Boogie by Jimmy Bryant and Speedy West? I, I think so, yes. Okay, well, that's, if, you li- if you listen to the Stratosphere Boogie by Jimmy Bryant and Speedy West, um, you'll hear what you hear when the opening thing on that the the first go round is that's him playing the head on the stratosphere guitar okay then he switches over to the six string neck for his solo okay but the actual uh, melody of the head of the tune yeah it's a boogie piece and uh, it's mind-boggling and i i always wondered what what is that yeah. what how does he do that you know and finally <laughs> well you know tk came up with the tuning and uh, and the original you know, string great. gauge chart so it, that was really helpful when i tried it out yeah. it's, uh, it's really fun to mess around with it's oh, time yeah. consuming but it's very rewarding at the same time. <laughs> yeah, right. so you have to have a dedicated guitar because oh yeah you know, you, you know it's really helpful to have all 12 bridges adjustable so you could get the yeah. uh, the harmonics uh, adjusted right for every string yeah. and that so the Dan Electro that I use is a newer model that has the 12 it has bridge on it, you know. Wow, and like 12 individual cells. Yeah, yeah. so wow. it really helps to have that um, bridge on there. Huh. And I've tried a lot of different guitars with that um, uh, thing, and the Dan Electro works so much better than all the other ones. It's crazy. It's huh. like whatever it is about those pickups and that platform, and those, it's you know the flatter uh, radius on the neck, it sure. just makes it easier to play, and yeah. it sounds really good. And, um, you know, you have to order the strings individually um, because I mean, it's such a crazy set. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and it's better to use flat wounds for your wound strings okay. because uh, the uh, harmonics won't uh, ring as much, and you can hear the two notes better. Yeah, like you can hear the individual two notes when you strike them. Sure, there's more separation there when you use flat wound strings. Okay. Uh, that's a trick I learned from a, a, a session guitar player in Nashville named Russ Paul. Uh, he, I remember doing a session with him one day, and he had an old, uh, a really good old harmony. Um, uh, what's it called? The Stella, the big twelve-string, the, the really nice old harmony twelve-string from oh, the fifties. Sure. Yeah. You know, he had the the real deal. Yeah. yeah. And he was doing an overdub, and I was like, that guitar sounds massive. Why does that guitar sound so huge? It's amazing, you know, this twelve-string guitar. And yeah. It's like, dude. He says. Flat wound strings. It's like, why does that work? He says, because you can hear the two notes better. Uh, if you put, use, you know, round wound, it, it, that it sounds like one note. Yeah. And we used the flat wounds, you can hear the two, yeah, two notes better, and it's like, it sounds bigger. And I was like, ah, okay. So I applied that to the stratosphere thing, and it worked. Yeah. yeah. The last time I saw you, you were playing um, the Brad Paisley. Yeah, that's the one I have oh, tonight. Okay. Yeah, yeah, the silver one. Yeah. I have two of them. Okay. They're, act- they're actually both on the bus. Um, I have a black Esquire and um, the silver sparkle okay. uh, uh, Telecaster. Yeah. And those are really good guitars. Yes, they, they both are. have Glazer benders in them and um, B benders. And uh, man, I'll tell you what, man, that pickup 
that is in that guitar. Uh -huh. Tim Shaw did that pickup for okay. Rad. Um, Rad had a 63 Tele pickup, and those are kind of famous. Yeah. There was a run of six in the, in the 63 of, of Tele bridge pickups that, um, and he, he had one of those. And he says, this pickup sounds better than all my other pickups. And he has like hundreds of pickups. Sure. And he's like, can you make, you know, when you do my model, can you make a pickup that sounds like that? So Tim said, well, let me have the pickup and I'll see what I can do. And he he was analyzing it and trying to figure out why it sounded so good. And he said he was laying in bed and it finally dawned on him that it was the same amount of wines as a P-Bass pickup. Okay. And so he tried it. He made one and sure enough, there it was. And he's, what he thinks happened is that someone was winding P-Base pickups on the machine and forgot to recalibrate it when For, they went back yeah. to making tele pickups yeah. on that same machine and turned out like, I think I've heard that there were 600 of those things in 63. Now, I don't know if that's right or not. Yeah. It could be total <laughs> mythology, but that's what I've heard. Uh -huh. And um, and I think that that sounds like a plausible um, explanation for what happened with sure. that pickup. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna go with it. I like <laughs> it. It's a good story. <laughs> how um, how deep do you get into to like uh, vintage vender, you know, lore and stuff like that? Oh shoot, I'm obsessed with it. Are you? <laughs> yeah, Richard Smith came to our gig uh, uh, two nights ago. Oh, the guy really? that made, uh, wrote that first in-depth book about Fender. Yeah. In, back in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. He, you were in Hanford or? That was in uh, Los Angeles at okay. the Roxy. Oh, okay. He, and he showed up with his wife and it was like, wow, Richard Smith. <laughs> I didn't know who I was talking to at first and yeah. then I feel, realized that you're Richard Smith. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, and, and on the other side of things... Did you see Jaime when you go to? Uh... Yeah, well, yeah, I saw. We were. I was over at Jaime's, and uh, he adjusted some of my. One of my uh, suits had a slight adjustment that needed to be made. Yeah. Yeah. And do you guys get new suits on a regular basis or not so much? Well, it's. Yeah, in the big picture, I guess it would. You could call it regular. Uh -huh. You know, uh, we. You know, we, every couple of years we get some new ones. Uh -huh. but, you know, I mean, we we're always getting new ones. It seems uh -huh. like, but you know. Uh, we have uh, three, well, actually we have four sets of suits out with us on this trip. So four suits, how many suits do you think you have total? Oh, I'm sure it's getting up close to 20. Oh, really? Yeah, most of them are in the warehouse in Mississippi where Marty's building a museum. Yeah, and, yeah. And but. so, you know, a lot of them we'll never wear again, but I'm sure that, you know. They'll, <laughs> they'll be on display. Yeah, I'm sure they'll. He'll find something to do with them. So, there's a actually a traveling exhibit right now. It's been out for years. It goes from different museums to different museums. Uh, there's a really elaborate uh, outfit um, on display with that exhibit that has a uh, get you know silver sparkle uh, RS guitar works guitars. Oh sure. That yeah. we, we used on the TV show uh -huh. and. Uh, has a Fender Silverface amps and oh, wow. uh, uh, you know stuff that we all played through and uh, there's I think there's drums and you know well, you know it's really it's a cool exhibit sure it's really cool what, it's part of um... it's just I don't know it's a Marty Stewart and his fabulous superlatives exhibit that goes I, I know it was at Graceland for oh wow a long time and it was out at the 
Grammy Museum in Hollywood uh-huh. for a while, long time, and I don't know where it is now. If it's if it's on ice or if it's at some museum somewhere, but uh-huh. it, uh, uh, you know, Marty uh, is you know be, because he's building a museum. Mm-hmm. Um, the, all the 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 theater part of the museum is already the, the theater's renovated and up and running and we just played a show there but oh, it's, cool. they're actively promoting shows there uh-huh. and it's going to be it's the the actual museum uh, space will be attached to that theater but it, you know, they're still raising money for the sure for the actual museum exhibit building part and uh, there's a warehouse down there with everything on, on display that you can tour um, but it's uh, you know It'll be a while before all that's together. Yeah. How far is Philadelphia, Mississippi from Nashville? Uh, I think it's about eight hours, maybe. Oh, okay. So it's a drive. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. How, and how many dates do you guys do a year, totally? Oh, I'm not really sure. It's usually about 100. Okay. In that, somewhere, give or take. So, but that's... Yeah, 100-ish. 100-ish. Yeah, and it, yeah. is it usually like full weeks, or is it is it like weekends? stuff generally nashville people go out on weekends you uh-huh. know because you're so close to a big percentage yeah. of, of the united states due to its central location yeah. there that you can get anywhere within eight hours you know it's all, a lot of the big cities and you know it's and then and, 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 you know there's all, all the secondary things you know you can, you can, within 12 hours i mean there's a lot of you can, you can get it a lot of places quickly you know? sure and uh when we come out here um, we usually try and come out for a couple of weeks because you know it's a long ways. Yeah, exactly. And we don't like to Waste fly, you know, <laughs> you know, because we like to have our own gear. So yeah, yeah, we have it just you know a good touring operation with the bus and the trailer and the gear and all that stuff. So we, did you see Mike Campbell when you were in LA? No, I didn't see him. Oh. No, sometimes we do. Yeah, he comes to our shows sometimes. He yeah. sat in with us a couple of years ago. We were playing at the Troubadour, I think. And he sat in with us. Can't remember. Yeah, I think that was the, the, the true boy. Uh huh. Because the is it the most recent record you recorded there, or is it no two back? That was uh, we recorded way out west there. That was about eight years ago. Oh okay. Yeah, his oh. play. It was at his Where studio. Yeah. Which was really great because um, he has his own home studio. Uh huh. And a lot of Tom Petty stuff was recorded there. Okay. In that studio, and. Um, uh, most of the traveling Wilbury stuff was done there. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. There's a good story about that. Uh, you know, Mike had all his guitars in this room, you know, so, sort of like out in a, you know, accessible. They're not the case. They're just in a rack, you know. Sure. And so a lot of his famous guitars, you know, like, wow, you know, like, there's that one. Oh, wow, there's that one. Wow, you know. And um, Scruggs and I were always going and grabbing him. He had a lot of Rickenbackers. Yeah. Like, Rickenbackers that I'd never even seen him play, uh-huh. but old ones, you know, 60s Rickenbackers, which is what you want, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, you know, Rickenbackers after 1972 or three aren't really like they were before that, you know. I mean, they're, now they're, they're vintage stuff that they reissued, they're good, you know, uh-huh. they're well done, but, you know, those. The '60s ones, man. They just in the late '50s ones. He has a like a late '50s Capri. Uh-huh. It's just wow. so awesome. It's like, <laughs> oh man, you know. But anyway, we were playing. He had a, these two um, uh, Fender, did you know? At one point, owned Gretsch. Yeah. For a minute. Yeah. And when they did own Gretsch, they also owned Bigsby. 
Okay. Yeah. They had the they had the rights to the Bigsby name. Uh-huh. I think they've since sold it, but at, at for a minute there they had Gretsch and Bigsby, and so um, they for, I don't know why they did this, but they um, made a Bigsby copy in Japan. Oh, wow. a, of a Bigsby guitar, yeah, yeah, like one of the like the Grady Martin Bigsby or sure. something like that. You know, it's like a very similar to that guitar. Yeah, just a single neck Bigsby with all that oddball construction. You know, the, those are hollow body guitars, even though they look like solid bodies. Yeah. They're hollow maple bodies. You know, and uh, really meticulously handmade instruments. You know, yep. neck through construction, all that kind of stuff. But Fender Japan, I didn't know this. The made some knockoffs of that oh really and he had two of them oh wow two different models they look very similar you know and this one we were just like wow this guitar is amazing you know Uh oh man and Scruggs and I were on the couch one day passing it back and forth and 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 I realized Campbell's standing there looking at us you know when he's got this sort of misty eyed look you know and he says you guys like that guitar don't you (laughs) and we're like yeah and he kind of nods his head and he's like that was George's favorite. Wow. And we're like, George's favorite. <laughs> we like George's favorite. You know, it's like, whoa. You know, suddenly the guitar's like, wow. You know. <laughs> George's favorite. Oh, man. You know, like, okay. That's a good day at the office. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, are, tonight, are there are anybody special coming to play with you tonight? No, I no. don't think so. I don't yeah. know. I, mean, I, I saw you at, um, when you played here in Napa at the, the county fair or the town and country fair or something. Like oh, that. yeah. Gene Parsons. And Gene Parsons. That was, was a long there. time ago. Yeah, I was wondering That's if Gene... That's got to be like, what, 12 years ago or something? Oh, uh, I don't even know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he lives in um, Casper yeah. on the coast. Yeah, he's sat in with us several times Oh, has years. He? Yeah. We played up in uh, this part of the country, uh, well, maybe five or six years ago. Maybe six or seven years ago. I don't know, something like that. But uh, he set, he brought his uh, pull string Martin. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, got up and finger picked and sang. And Marty played. Uh, we did that song off of a Birds record that Gene sang. What was it? Um, there must be someone I can turn to, or something okay. like that. <laughs> and it was a, a song that Gene Parsons actually sang on the record, yeah. and Marty played the guitar solo that Clarence White played, note oh, wow. for note, on Clarence White's guitar. Oh, man. You know, oh, that's so great. So it's a really cool <laughs> moment, you know, because yeah. Gene's singing this plaintive ballad, and, you know, and then the solo comes, and he turns around, and like, wow. You know, <laughs> there it was, note for note, you know, t- yeah. perfect tone, you know, this beautiful sound, and it's like, oh, that's cool. You know, Marty studied the the solo and figured it out yeah. note for note and right on it was pretty cool so it was <laughs> uh, a cool moment oh yeah for sure for Gene's sure. still really good you know oh yeah he's fantastic he you know he's one of those guys that always took care of himself i don't think he ever took drugs or, or drank or anything you know and which is unusual it's rather unusual for uh uh you know somebody from this area that grew up in that time and played with those kind of people that stayed straight yeah that stayed time, you know but uh, so, he sounds really good. He's yeah. a really good finger picker. Man. Oh yeah, he's a good banjo player. Yes, you know, and and also steel player. The, I've, I've never heard him play steel, but I've heard that he does. Yeah, he, 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 there's a guitar show here in, in about I don't know 40 minutes away, once a year. And Gene, well, he didn't show up last time, but he has showed up in the past. Cool. 
and with all his wares that he's pushing. So. Oh, that's great, man. Yeah. Man, I love his, um, the Parsons White Bender. It's the best. Gosh. It's very heavy. Yeah, but it sounds really good. It's, yeah. It really works well. Well, it is the sound. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, my Glazer Benders are really good, too. Okay. Those are, the thing about those is they're less invasive. You okay. know, they're cheaper to install, and, uh, you know, he's really worked out the bugs over the years. You know, he was a steel player. Yeah. So, um, you know, and he's been... He was doing. He was putting those in guitars when I moved to Nashville in 1987. You know, wow. He was. He'd been doing it for years at that time. And he's really taken off in the last uh, little bit because of Brad Paisley. Sure. Uh, you know, the 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 <laughs> demand for uh, B benders has gone through the roof. Yeah. Like he's he's done doing way more now than he ever did at any other point since he started doing this years ago. Uh huh. You know. So, you know, it's a. Uh, how much is it for a glazer bender these days? I don't really know. It's, it's, it's probably about half of what a Parsons White is. Okay. The, uh, well, uh, 15 years ago or so, Parsons White were almost two grand. Okay, so I'll, I'll just that it's about a third of what a Parsons White okay. is worth. Yeah, it's, it's, but I don't really know the exact figure. Yeah. Um, as far as the acoustics that you play on stage? Yeah, um, I have uh, 88 Martin D41. Okay. It has a uh, Lloyd Bags pickup in it. And, um, uh, and then, let me see, what else do I have? I guess I, I've got that covered all. I've got the Telecasters, the two 12 strings, and the acoustic. That, that yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. I think that's is, it. is Marty still playing the D41 that he had back in the day? Uh, the Marty Stewart model. Oh, he's playing the Marty Stewart model. Yeah, that, okay. yeah, he has one of those. There yeah. was 200 made. Okay. In the 90s. Yeah. And uh, oh, he, they're gorgeous. Yeah, that's what he. Plays. <laughs> that's what he's playing. Yeah, it's the same. It's the only guitar that he's used on stage. You know, plugged in ever since I've been here. Okay. In 22 years, he's been playing the same, same guitar. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Those are those are very slick. It's a good guitar. They don't come up on eBay very often. No. <laughs> we get people coming through the autograph line for him to sign them occasionally. Oh, I do really? Yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. that's very cool. The, I'd love to find one. Yeah. I'd love to own one, but man. Likewise. They're expensive. <laughs> yeah, they're super expensive. The other, the other guitar that, um, I don't, you know Ranger Doug, of course, from Of Riders. course. Yeah. The, uh, Gibson made a Ranger Doug model at one point. Oh, yeah. Off I of, played that guitar. Yeah. That's but there's only, I guess there's only four of them. Yeah, it's a great guitar. Yeah. Ranger Doug has good instruments, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he has an, he really has an ear for a good guitar. I've never seen him pick up a guitar that wasn't just an awesome guitar. Yeah. He has really, really high standards. He's, he's, a, he knows his stuff. Yeah. I, I, I fanboy out for you, but I also fanboy out for, uh, for Ranger Doug. I, 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 <laughs> I, was, I was in their dressing room at the Grand Ole Opry one night, and they were running a tune, you know, like just uh, the four of them standing there, you know, uh -huh. and they're going through a tune. And I'm standing there, and Too Slim, the bass player, leans over while he's playing, and he said, while they're playing, he, he says audibly to everybody, he says, you know, Kenny, you should pay more attention to Ranger Doug's guitar playing. It's a lot better than it sounds. <laughs> and Ranger Doug, you know, like his eyes sort of shifted over to Too Slim and me, and then he just like, 
just never broke character and came back in singing, you know, just like like as if nobody had said anything like that, you know. <laughs> He's heard it all, you know. <laughs> heard of all of Two Slim's routines, but it's a lot better than it sounds. <laughs> Um, I don't. Do you have to eat? Is, is am I am I taking too much of your time? No, no, okay. I'm fine. Okay. Uh, well, cool. And at home, as far as guitar, your guitar collection is huge. Yeah, you know, it, uh, my collection is really just mostly stuff that I use, uh-huh. and it's not. I'm not really a vintage guitar collector because I've, I'm a, you know, I have, you know, I'm married to a musician, and we have three children, and. Uh-huh. Um, you know, my wife works a lot, and I work a lot. So you know, raising kids has been expensive. Sure. And, you know, we're not really vintage collecting people, although we'd like to be. Yeah. But you know, um, I've had to sell a lot of guitars over the year to pay school bills and yes. you know braces or whatever. You know, I mean, you know, yeah. it's, you know, you know, living in the modern world with children is expensive. Oh, yeah. Are, the, um, are you a member of the union, of the Musicians Union? Yeah. Yeah. And did they help at all? with Out here, there's, it's not pretty much non-existent. But. Well, the union, Nashville's a strong you know, recording town, so being in the union is uh, very helpful when it comes to getting paid for things and, that you did. And did they do help with your health insurance and stuff like that? No. No. I mean, they they have a plan, but it's not not really any better than any other plan. You know? Okay. They, they they do sponsor one. They do do the best they can, but you know, dealing with health insurance is like, you know, you're not gonna win. Uh-huh. <laughs> there are no good <laughs> no, deals. Definitely not. They got, with insurance yeah, companies in general. Yeah, I mean, in this win. country, you know. Help yourself to the fridge, you guys. It, Thank it, you. In this country, it's all you know. It's, it's not like other countries. You know, I've, <laughs> no. I, don't, I, I remember the first time I went to the emergency room in England. Uh, our, uh, back in the '80s, when, uh, we I've been out with uh, one of our stage crew guys. We were coming back home from going to a gig to watch somebody play. We were walking up the steps in the hotel, and there was this light fixture, and he, he hit his head in the light fixture, and he just started oh, no. gushing blood. Uh-huh. I mean, like a fire hydrant. And I was like, holy fuck, you know? And it's like 2 in the morning, and I, I, I grab him, you know, and we go get in a cab and take us to the quickest, you know, nearest emergency room right now. And the guy speeds up to the emergency room, you know? You know, I've got, got a towel, I'm, you know, trying to keep the blood inside <laughs> yeah. of the guy, you know, and I'm like freaking out, you know. We go in, you know, we, they bring a wheelchair, we go in there into the emergency room in London. I'm thinking, oh God, we're going to be here all night, yeah. you know. It's like there's nobody there, you know. There's like one person sitting behind a desk. Can I help you, gentlemen? You know, I said, yeah, there's a, and they get him, take him away. And I'm sitting there, you know, for like an hour, and they wheel him back out, you know. <laughs> and, and and so, you know, the doctor comes out, and he says, so you're, you, I'm releasing this guy to you, you know, and uh, you're going to have to come back, uh, you know, the day after tomorrow, you know. And I said, well, we're well, not going to be in this city the day after tomorrow. He said, well, where are you going to be? And I was like, well, um, let me, I, I, you know. Let me think about that, and I remember what our our itinerary. We're going to be in Newcastle or whatever uh, yeah. it was, you know. He said, tells the nurse, get these guys the, you know, the information for Newcastle. Okay, now take him to the emergency room in Newcastle, and you know, have him check this thing out, you know, wow. in two days, you know. 
I was like, okay. And so, you know, and there, you know, I had to sign a release form. I said, so what are we going to owe you for this? And you got, and the, and the nurse says, you're Americans, aren't you? <laughs> I said, yes, ma'am. She said, healthcare is free in England. Wow. Have a good night, gentlemen, and be careful. Wow. You know, yeah. come on, man. It's like, I've been in the emergency room in America, and it's like, you know, six hours later, well, we can maybe see you now. You know, it's like there's hundreds of people in there, you know, and there's like, you know, families living in there and everything. I mean, it's crazy, you know. And there, it's like, they get you and they take care of you. Good. Send That's you good. on your way. You know? Okay. Free health care. There you go. Earlier, you mentioned seeing John Bonham. How many times did you see John Bonham? Twice. Twice. I saw the first gig that they played in the United States. Wow. Um, which would have been the end of 1968. Uh-huh. They were opening for Spirit and Vanilla Fudge. In Colorado? Yeah. Okay. In Colorado at the Auditorium Arena. Okay. And uh, they were a last-minute addition to the bill. Uh, our promoter in Denver was from Chicago, and he was involved with uh, the old music business back in the days of the mob control uh-huh. stuff. So he owed his boss a favor, and his boss called at him on it, and he said, "Listen, you got to put these dudes on the on the bill. They're, they're, they've got a date in Hawaii, and they need one to get them there. And they, you know, this is their first tour of the United States. Wow! And they have an album that just came out a couple weeks ago." And they're called Led Zeppelin, and uh, I need you to do this for me. He says, I can't do that, man. Come on, man. Don't make me do this. I said, Barry, you're doing it. You're putting them on the bill. Give them 25 minutes. He said, okay. You know. Wow. So Led Zeppelin came out, and they opened with Train Captain Rolling. Wow. That was their opening number. And uh, talking about Dan Electro, uh, uh, this is a good story. My next-door neighbor when I was a kid, uh, had a Dan Electro Silvertone series guitar with an amp in the case. Sure. Two pickups, you know, black, yep. sparkle. And I, I, in 66, I got my first guitar. It was a brand new Fender Telecaster. I'd saved up money wow. with my paper route. I was 12 years old, and my dad was friends with Johnny Smith, the jazz guitar player, and sure. he had a music store down in Colorado Springs. We drove down there, and he made us a really good deal on a brand new Fender Telecaster. Wow. And, uh, he was the first guy I ever saw play guitar. Okay, not bad. Uh, to, my, my dad used to take me to watch him before I owned a guitar. Uh-huh. I, mean, my, I told my dad I want to play guitar. He said, well, my friend Johnny plays guitar. Why <laughs> 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 does he ever? You know? I didn't realize he was the most advanced technician on earth at yeah. that time. You know, Back in the 60s, he was like, his chord voicings were yes. you know, very advanced. And but So I was very lucky to have that influence at an early age you know yeah i didn't know i thought that's the way everybody played guitar you know? <laughs> but anyway uh, my neighbor had one of those guitars and i thought it was just a piece of junk you know mm-hmm. and so anyway i'm at the led zeppelin show you know and they're you know i'm watching these guys and you know to play about three songs four songs and then this guy brings out a guitar and, and jimmy page sits down on a chair and plays this instrumental piece on a dan electro just the same guitar that my neighbor, the next door neighbor has what's going on here man yeah plays this he played white summer white summer yeah, yeah and um, and then they finished the show and did 25 minutes that was it you know and then i saw him again um in uh uh the led zeppelin three okay yeah so like 
a year later, a year and a half later? So it was 70, 70 or 71, Okay, I'm thinking. Uh-huh. I'm not sure. I could look it up and see. Uh-huh. That was at the Denver Coliseum, and they were headlining that night. And, um, you know, so I never saw them play Stairway to Heaven. Oh, okay. You know, I never saw that era. Yeah. Uh, I, Led Zeppelin three was the, only, the last time I saw them. You saw the first show they played here. I saw the last show they did in the United States. Wow, cool. Where like, was that? Uh, at you know, Day on the Green, Oakland Coliseum. Uh, it would have been July 24th. Is, what city is that? Uh, Oakland. Oakland. So across the bay from San Francisco. Yeah. yeah. It was a Bill Graham show. Yeah. And uh, um, the, yeah, they played, they were two and a half hours late because they had gotten in a fight with uh, with the um, Bill Graham's people. Oh, I remember reading about that. Yeah. Yeah, I've read about that. And, it, and that was when Robert Plant's son died. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> When you're on the when you're doing these tours, do you have time to like? Um, you're in your bubble, but do you go like walk around town and stuff like that? I try to walk around town. I'm you know do that. You know I try to walk, uh-huh. um, and uh, but you know we're we're pretty much on a treadmill uh, every day. I try to get a lot of rest. Sure. You know so I you know I try to go to bed and get as much sleep as possible. I I'm pretty good about burning down about you know. 10 to 11 hours a night on the bus. Okay. <laughs> wow. Good for yeah, you. It's, I really sleep well there. And when you, so you pull in here, are you guys, do you guys get hotel rooms or are you just, it's just the bus and the. It and, depends. Uh, today that we have really nice facilities so we can just shower here yeah, and yeah. don't have to bother with going to the hotel. Sure. There is a hotel we can go to, but there's no, really no reason for us to do it because yeah. what's, you know. It, nothing to do there it's, yeah. it's a business question show. but the do you does the venue cover the hotel or or do they provide you rooms or i don't know yeah i don't know how yeah, well, that i'm sure it varies <laughs> from promoter to promoter and situation to situation mm-hmm. when you um when you guys sound check do you run full songs or do you or do you just are it depends on what our uh, uh what what we're doing you know uh sometimes we'll rehearse sometimes uh-huh. we'll work on new songs okay sometimes we'll um, you know, just run snippets of tunes if we're in a hurry. Um, you know, we just try and make sure all our stuff and, works. Yeah, but yeah. Our, our crew is so good. We have the best crew ever, uh, and you know, the, we we really are spoiled. <laughs> they know our shit and they know what we're doing, and they can dial it in without a sound check. If sure, we, if we have to. Yeah, you know, but uh, we like to play a little. You know, and, yeah. Some you know, we've been known to have really long sound checks sometimes, you know, okay. just before working on something, uh-huh. you know. But uh, yesterday was really a short sound check. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, and then going back to Johnny Smith, do you, do you still have your notes from like music notes from Johnny Smith? I didn't study with him. Oh, okay. But um, he showed me a lot of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, I was just a kid. When yeah. I, you know, but um, I had his. My father bought his books, okay. his guitar instructor, a couple of his books. He had quite a few, and he, I think I had like book one of uh-huh. several different. There was probably two or three of his books that I had, and um, they were really helpful, mm-hmm. you know, because they talked about, you know, the first one talked about technique, uh-huh. and I didn't know, you know, I was like, well, I don't know how to play the guitar, so I was would read those books and like, oh, you sure. hold the pick like this, hold your arm like this, you know, and. Uh, and then I started taking lessons from different people in, in Denver, uh-huh. where I lived. He lived in Colorado Springs, so okay. it was like an hour away or right. more. And uh, but uh, and then I lucked in in '72 
I was I went to my I used to go to this place called Melody Music. They were a Gibson dealer, and I would buy all my strings and picks there. It was my local music store, and I I drove the people that own the place nuts because I would just hang around there all the time. Of course, playing playing Gibson guitars. Yes. And back in those days in the sixties, when um, every year they would get one of everything oh, in the really? catalog. Oh wow! Every year, and so you know they had if they didn't sell the. 345, you know, it, it was still there, yeah. you know, from the last year, you know, I mean, and, so, and I have a guitar that my best, one of my best friends bought at Melody Music, it's a 67 345 that he bought brand new in 71. Oh, wow. There. So it must have sat there yeah. for the whole time. I have the receipt in the case. He oh. died and he left it to me. Oh, man. And I was like, wow. You know, but anyway, I was in that um, in '72. I was in that store buying some strings or something, and I hear this incredible guitar playing going on. Look, there's this hippie over there in the corner playing jazz, and I'm just like, I went back up to the desk. And, Gordon, who is that guy, man? He said, "Oh, that's my new guitar instructor, Bill Frizzell." Oh, wow! And I was like, well, sign me up with him, and I didn't even meet him. Yeah, I just like got on the schedule and like so the next week I met him when I went in with my guitar you know <laughs> I want to learn to play some stuff you know and, and uh, he was probably about um, I'm guessing six or seven years older than me uh-huh. and, but he was a spaced out kind of like didn't know what he was going to do with himself he was he was living back in Denver after being in New York studying with Jim Hall and uh-huh. I think he did a little bit of time at Berkeley not a lot but uh, but he'd been you know, studying with Jim Hall, and and uh, he didn't really know what to do with himself, and he was giving guitar lessons to kids, you know. Yeah. And uh, but we hit it off, and uh, he sh- in, in an, over about three months, I think I studied with him. Uh, uh-huh. I learned a lot. Yeah. Were and, you into jazz at that age? Well, my father was a a jazz buff. Okay. And he was a visual artist, but he collected jazz records. Okay. And he had a lot of them. Okay. And that's all he listened to. Like, you weren't allowed to listen to anything on my dad's stereo unless it was his record, you know. <laughs> now, I have my rock and roll records, and I have, you know, record play in my room. But, sure. You know, I listen to that stuff, and, you know, he's like, that's kids' music. Yeah. But, you know, I was, you know, by the time I was five years old, you know, I was listening to Miles Davis and John Coltrane. And, sure. You know, I mean, everybody. Yeah. I mean, Wes Montgomery, my dad, he had all these records, and Mose Allison, I mean, cool people, yeah. you know, all kinds of, you know, really, really great stuff. He took me to see Errol Garner when I was like four. Wow. You know, and, and we, we, you know, when I was a teenager, we'd go out to shows together, you know, uh-huh. I, you know, every one time we went to the Senate Lounge, which was so small, there wasn't even a PA system. Oh, wow. No microphones. <laughs> And we saw Gary Burton. Oh, wow. With Mick Goodrick on guitar. Oh, man. No PA. And then he came back to the same place a year later, and he had this other kid playing guitar with him, Pat Matheny. Oh, wow. Like, my age. You know, and it's like, I'm sitting there watching this kid play, and I'm like, holy shit. You know, like, good Lord, this guy's a monster, you know. So you've always been into jazz guitar players, for the most part. Yeah. Right still on. am. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. where it's at, man. That's and and when you were when you leave in high school, any thoughts to go into Berkeley or or? No, um, you know I grew up in the in the '60s and I got thrown out of 
high school when I was in uh, the 10th grade, right at the end of the 10th grade. Okay. They threw me out because they thought I was selling drugs. Uh-huh. <laughs> I had long hair and I was in a band and, you know, and they were convinced that I was selling drugs and I was not. You know, I bought drugs. <laughs> I smoked my weight and weed. I was in Colorado in the yeah, yeah. 60s. Everybody smoked weed, you know. But, um, you know, I was just in a band. And at, at that time, there was a lot of uh, political unrest. And, and uh, you know, those things were very polarized. Sure. And long-haired people got beat up a lot, you know. Yeah. And I was one of those. And so, so I was pretty much fed up with the school system because I got a lot of you know, I was just wanting to be a guitar player, and I was very ambitious. You know, I was in a band that worked all the time. I made money. Oh, cool! You know, yeah. I was working. You know, I, I was playing. You know, I, you know, making money. Yeah. And um, they were not having it. You know, they were just like, you know, get your cut. You know, <laughs> uh, you know it always bothered me that the assistant principal had it out for me. He was an asshole. <laughs> he later got fired for being a jerk. Oh, really? Uh, after I quit. You know, after they kicked me out. Yeah. And so my parents had, um, they moved to Kansas about that time. And I was like, what am I going to do? I'm not going to move to Kansas in the middle of a cornfield, yeah. you know, in the middle of nowhere. You know, so I just stayed in Denver and just started playing all the time. Wow. Know? And I lucked into um, a lot of situations where I was able to work yeah. for like five nights a week playing country music. You uh-huh. know? Which I was, you know, it was funny how I, the, the whole thing started when I was walking by this, I was in my little, you know, neighborhood, and staying up at my grandparents' house, and um, who were re- really wonderful people. Um, they had two houses, you know, one in town and then one up in the mountains, and they okay. mostly stayed up in the mountains, but they, you tell me why I stay at the place, you didn't come, you didn't watch. <laughs> keep one eye on the place so we like it when you stay there you yeah. know so I was staying there you know living a very Spartan existence but uh, I, w- I was walking down the street uh, one night and uh, I walked by this dive bar called the Oasis and I heard the most incredible guitar playing coming out there I was like whoa and I had a fake ID I think I was 20 okay and um, so that would have been uh, 1974 you know, I was walking into this, uh, you know, I walked in there, you know, and I looked and there's this band over in the corner, these old guys playing country music, but uh-huh. it was old country music. Sure. Yeah. Even by that, you know, by 1974 standards, it was old. They were playing Hank Williams yeah, and Hank Williams Frizzell and Ernest Tubb. Ernest Tubb and, uh, yeah, you know, that kind of stuff. Ray Price was probably the most uh, contemporary thing they played, you know, uh-huh. second wave kind of country music stuff. But, uh, uh you know they were doing all the all the real good stuff yeah you know, the honky tonk stuff and the shuffles and sure and you know and they were just so good i was just like whoa this guy this guy's name was chuck james this guitar player played a super 400 that was tricked out like merle travis and sat on a stool okay and you know with the p90 pickups and the big bigsby long sure. arm yep. on it and everything you know fancy super 400 it's like whoa look at this guy man and just playing the fire out of the guitar, just like, so good, I couldn't believe it, you know? So I, you know, a couple of nights later, I went back down there and sat there and watched him, and, and the bass player was the leader of the band. He came over on break and said, these guys are like in their 
50s and 60s okay. know, at the time. You know, they seemed ancient to me. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and I'm on, like a long-haired punk rocker, you know, a guy with a black leather jacket and tight jeans and a t-shirt, you know. And he comes up to me and says, son, you're going to get your ass kicked in this place looking like that. You ought to sit a little bit closer to the bandstand when you come in here. He said, you must be a musician. I said, yes, sir, I'm a musician. I just come in because, you know, this guitar player is blowing my mind. You guys are so good. I just, you know. And so he was really nice, you know. And so I moved a little bit closer to the, you know, he was a hillbilly, but he was, he was you know, interesting cat. And, sure. You know, and funny character, and they were, were really good players, you know, so... I went the third time I went in there. He uh, he said, "You want to get up and play one with this boy?" You know, I was like, "Okay," you know. Yeah. So I got up, kind of stumbled. Uh, they had two guitar players, and the second guitar player, uh, he had a Telecaster, and I was kind of playing it. You know, I was like, "Oh wow," you know. And so they got my number. Oh wow! He got my number, and he called me, you know, to play some dates, you know around town and I started going playing with this guy and um, I got to meet all the through he was a kind of a big entertainer in Denver on the country circuit which was a whole other world uh -huh. it was like an alternate universe <laughs> like I didn't know anything about this but I found out there's all these people that play country music and they're like a big family and they're like you know lots of good singers sure. and lots of good players and, and they're playing this other kind of music you know and I'm like wow you know I was I've been studying jazz and playing in a rock and roll band and you know playing in a funk band and whatever you know but so I started doing this these gigs and the thing about them was they were cool because um, back in those days my friends played in these like top 40 bands sure. and they would have to travel oh yeah to, from Holiday Inn exactly. to Holiday Inn like <laughs> yeah. well we're playing in North Platte Nebraska for three weeks at this Holiday Inn and out by the highway and then we're playing up in Casper, Wyoming at this Holiday Inn on the edge of town out by the highway for, for three weeks you know and I was like that sounds awful yeah, what do does. you guys do <laughs> well we stay in our hotel room and we play five nights a week you know and I was like that sounds really awful yeah. you know it's miserable you know? <laughs> and um, and you have to play top 40 music right and then I said yeah I said god that sounds awful because I didn't like top 40 music you know? oh, of course you know once the when by the time the Beatles were done you know top 40 was done too kind of yeah. like it's like became something that I wasn't interested in you know, yep. the, you know. so I was like well I don't want to do that but these guys in this country outfit they, they never traveled uh -huh. We were just playing bars around Nashville, around uh, Denver, uh -huh. five nights a week or six nights a week, and so I started working six nights a week with this guy. You know? Right on. And it was like on-the-job training. Yeah. You know, you're playing with guys that are better than you, uh -huh. playing songs you don't know, but you're they're playing them. You know, the stuff they grew up listening to. Sure. You know? So it's like, oh, I, right. you know. Are they calling out chords to you, like the two chord? <laughs> you know, they didn't do the number system. Okay. They, they, you just hang on and go. Okay. You know, it was like, and I, you know, I, I tried to, you know, back in those days, you could go to a used record store oh, and yeah. buy country records for nothing. Yeah. You know, you could buy, you could go in with a two dollars and come out with more records than you could carry. <laughs> you know, that was, so I could put, buy. You know, nobody wanted those records, and. Um, 
I would just buy them up and go home and listen to them. You know? yeah. Oh, there's that song he does. Oh, okay. You know, oh, who wrote this song? You know, I got into all the country music stuff just by, you know, my own forensic work, you know, yeah. just like kind of trying to piece together, you know, what the lineage was and how it worked and, you know. I realized that most of the stuff was recorded in Nashville, yeah. and what wasn't recorded in Nashville was recorded in Hollywood. Yeah. You know, it was like, started seeing names of songwriters re reappearing, you know, in yeah. different places. And, sure. You know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, country records never had any information about who played on them or anything. Uh, so, yeah. it was, uh, I remember in the uh, 80s when um, it started, uh, the local PBS network started uh, rerunning those old uh, Ganaway films from Nashville from the 50s. I'm not, not familiar. Uh, they, were, uh, they were recorded in a TV studio. Okay. Um, or actually a recording studio that was made to look like a, a TV set with hay bales and stuff. And, okay. And um, it was uh, probably from the mid, early to mid 50s. And they were really good films uh -huh. of these people you know, yeah, like Ernest Tubb and sure. you know, I, I little Jimmy Dickens, you know, yeah. and you know, Carl Smith was one of the uh, hosts a lot, and uh, you know, they had all the great costumes and great dancers and great comedians and all that stuff, you know. Yeah. And they started rerunning these shows on PBS on Saturday afternoon, and that really opened up the world to for me to be able to. Oh, that guy, okay. Yeah. Oh, look at that guitar, man, you know. Yeah. He plays guitar for this guy. Oh, man, I, you know. Yeah. And you just started trying to figure out who all these people were, sure. you know. Yeah. You know, and uh, it was really helpful, you know, yeah. for me. Of course. Because, you know, the, the people that I worked with, they didn't really know that much about the music that they played. Sure. Like, they did, probably didn't, I probably knew more by... By 1980, I'm sure I knew more than those guys about who all was actually playing on those records and who the songwriters were, uh -huh. and, you know, and what the situation was. They, those guys probably didn't think about that stuff because, you know, people back in those days didn't, you know, consider things like that. Either. Oh yeah, yeah. And these days, you are. What are you listening to? Do Do you listen to music or? Yeah. Yeah. I'm really into the new Slow Dive record. They've got, a, they've got a new record that just came out. It's excellent. And I really like Fontaine's DC. They're my favorite band. Okay. I got to see them recently. What kind of music is that? I'm not, I don't Fontaine's know. Fontaine's DC? Yeah, They're a, a rock and roll band from Dublin, Ireland. Okay. They have three albums out. And um, they're due for another one. I don't know how they stay stay together and keep going because they're so great I love them uh -huh. I think their um, their lead singer is the best lyricist okay he's awesome <laughs> whoa he's better than anybody he's the best okay he's well they they met in at college in Dublin and they all bonded over poetry mm -hmm. they were studying poetry okay and um, well, five of them all met Due to the poetry class, so they're they're digging James Joyce, you know, yeah. instead <laughs> of what everybody else listens yeah. to. That's that's their standard, wow. you know. <laughs> they want to be James Joyce, you know. And man, he's good, man. He's like a, he's a hoss. He's just he's badass, man. 
And and how do you listen to music these days? Like on your phone? And um, on my headphones. On your headphones, like you yeah. know, the rest of us. I live with a, a musician. My wife is a musician and uh, three daughters, so they don't want to listen to what I listen yeah, to. Yeah, I know. I, I have the same problem. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I just, I, I, none of my, you know, that's none of their business what I listen to. <laughs> I, I listen to what I listen to. That's it. Yeah. I have a odd listening taste, you know. I'm, I listen to old jazz records and old country records from 1952 or whatever, you know, and then I listen to whatever. It yeah. sounds good to me. Yeah. yeah. I'm all over the place. Very cool. Yeah. I should, uh, I should let you go. I think I've taken enough of your time. I don't know how much what time it okay. is. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I guess I better. Oh, yeah, we'll go on forever. Uh, but thank, thank you for taking the time to speak with me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Have Guitar, Will Travel. You can catch up on all the things I'm doing at thedeadlies.com. And I'm on all the social media platforms as well. And please support Vintage Guitar and all the wonderful things they do because they do many, many wonderful things for us guitar players. Thanks. Please subscribe. Please tell a friend. And I'll see you guys next week. Bye, guys. <laughs>